All right, Jeff. Hey, Batman, let's get into this, my, my precious Batman man. Yeah, my sweet uh, everlasting gobstopper of buddy love. What issue are we doing? I'm sorry. I've, 664. I've... It's the first of the Batman ghost storyline. The first one after all of the text issue. Batman in Quarantine, um, episode seven, where we talk about Batman 664. I am always am Jeff, and joined with me this day, my, my my favorite buddy in all the land, the ghost from my past, the the shadow of my nightmare, and other Blink oh 182 references. Justin Cassatt. Man, I was just listening to Blink 182 while I cooked last night. That's funny that you brought that up. Speaking of coincidences, oh, here I am again with you talking about Batman. That's a coincidence. I love a it. A coincidence. A coincidence. If this was um, by Alan Moe. Coincidence. Um, so, Jeff, what you thinking about this? Well, a couple of things first. Mm-hmm. March 28th, 2007. <sighs> I mentioned this to Django in the previous issue, but the, the Clown at Midnight issue six month hiatus between the end of batman and sun arc and that uh joker issue coming out six months can you imagine i mean you probably did it back when it was coming out but i just like getting the the teeth in you of this morrison batman and sun story and then having to go six months because he was still working on 52 at the time oh really man like a that long of a delay on a main mean you know like a big there was like um ostrander came in and wrote um 550 or 658 to like 662 i think of the numbers oh, okay. there. so, so they, there was they had them coming out yeah, yeah, yeah but it was morrison like wasn't scripting them so okay. that's why there's an issue jump between the end of the batman and sun arc and the first uh, clown at midnight part okay and, okay 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 and so we're here it's it's march now um, mm-hmm. and the last time we had been hanging out with it's Batman and fuck. Son. Yeah, it's March as fuck in this. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, it's March as fuck. Oh, it God, like it's March. Um, but another thing that I think is very interesting about this issue is that while it is Andy Kubert on pencils, the first arc, Andy Kubert inks himself, and then he has um, a different colorist. And in this arc, the, the Ghost of Batman arc, um, there is somebody else inking his work and a different colorist. It pops a little bit more. What I yeah, I almost feel like it is a little bit more in terms of its shiny factor. A little bit more like in the Tony Daniels. Like it, it, this is a little bit more in the middle of the original Andy Kubert stuff, and then what ultimately becomes like the the Tony Daniels kind of glossy, saturated colors of of oh yeah uh, the later stuff. So yeah, I thought I, that was really interesting. Just. I, and uh, hot take, Justin. Now let me know how you feel. Hot take. Okay. I actually prefer this to the Andy Kubert um, inking himself earlier in the issue, like the the run. Me too. Um, and I hate to 
admit it, but I think I'm just like very easily fooled by gloss. Mm-hmm. Like, and you could just turn up the gloss and I'll be like, that looks really good. Like yeah. video games in like kind of in this era, 2008, early 2010s, they didn't so much enhance graphics. They just put a lot of gloss on everything. And like, like a mass- big cell shading, like <laughs> ink line around things. And it made yeah. it look, yeah. Oh God, it's so advanced. And I was reading this issue and I was like, the art is better. And, you know, I think it's just like a thicker ink line and a little bit more, you know, a little shinier. Yeah, and, uh, and Andy Kubert, And all it takes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Andy Huber doesn't seem to be doing as much. I don't know. His ink line is, is weird. He, he'll do a lot of, like, thin ink lines, but he also uses shadow a lot, but not necessarily in, like, a Darwin Cook, Jorge Fornes style shadow. Right. Um, so, so I appreciate the way that this looks here. And I have a, a pretty, what will be dated fan theory um, you know, two months from now. But I, Ooh. while reading this, I got very excited about something that's maybe coming down the pipe um, oh. that I want to share with you when we get there. But a quick pipes, summary pipes, of this pipes, issue pipes. is just that um, Batman is done cleaning up the streets from all the Bat Ninja folks from Talia from the end of the last Batman and Sun arc. Mm-hmm. And this is mostly Bruce going on a date with Jezebel Jet and then coming back to Gotham and hunting down a big old beefy Bane Batman. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And there's that blue flower I just noticed. Yeah. I was really confused by this arc originally. No, me too. I when I went back, but initially when Batman died and I realized RIP wasn't just like this massive muddled goo and it actually is a story, I went back to read these and I was like, what the fuck is this? But I ended up really liking it. Um and I liked this arc quite a bit. But I've heard it get a bad rep. Yeah, I I really like this arc right here. Um, and I do have some some bits of strangeness in it. But yeah, I, I think ultimately what I really like about this one is it introduces these the three ghosts of Batman. And knowing that he's drawn so much from Silver Age continuity at this point, while mm-hmm. I was reading it this time, I was like, he does mention having a dream or a vision of three Batman. So I was, I kept thinking like, is that a silver age issue? And I couldn't track down if that was in fact an issue or if that's a thing that Grant Morrison has written as having happened in the past, okay. unlike the hurt costume, which like he's put in there and then we can say like, Oh, that was issue two fifty three or whatever from the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, even Z- Zerana is a thing from an old issue. So yeah, I, yeah, I just, I, I'm, not sure if it is an old issue or not. I don't know, but it sounds like the ghosts, the three ghosts of Batman past sounds like a silver age thing. Yeah. So it sounds, I mean, yes. And he's so good at this point that he can kind of either draw on old silver age stuff, or you know that he does it so often you believe that he's doing it, even if he's not. Right. Um, so we get just, you know, Bruce showing up at 1030 on the dot on the ski slopes to see Jezebel jet. Mm-hmm. Um, he just parasails in on his skis with his parasail um, umbrella tent rider um, yeah. and shows up and gives her the blue rose, which you just pointed out. Now, that's the Pennyworth blue, but it also kind of harkens back to, A, Batman Begins when he has to find that blue flower. <sighs> yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> Twin Peaksy. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Blue yeah, rose yeah. mysteries. Yeah, that... A lot of other authors pull on that thing. Like Warren Ellis talks about Blue Roses a lot as a direct reference to Twin Peaks. So, Wow, is that that series Supreme Blue Rose have any reference to that? Wow, yeah. I had no idea. And then it comes up in 
his project superpowers shit too. Okay. Well, how do you, so the first eight or so pages of this issue is Batman on a date with Jezebel Jet on the slopes and then they go out to dinner. And I want to know, like, how do you feel about that as a whole? Like Bruce dating, like Batman having a girlfriend, like, you know, the run had started with Alfred encouraging Bruce to like indulge in his playboy role. I guess originally, I, I don't know. I don't have any problem with it, but Tom King's Batman run, like it makes the relationship between Bruce and Selina make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time when I was reading this originally, the idea of Batman having a relationship didn't seem as feasible to me um, or that Bruce, this highly evolved detective would allow himself to get to know people through the process of dating i'm just curious how does that fall for you does it like make sense i mean you've read a lot of just the batman comics out there so maybe it's a thing that happens often enough that it didn't um seem seem strange to you at all you know he's had in like all my batman readings he's had girlfriends and stuff but that it's always pretty underemphasized. to me i don't really think that it's a it's usually never done in an interesting way it wasn't until tom king to where i actually cared about bruce's you know Mm -hmm. usually they're a damsel in distress and that's it like they're two-dimensional um you know and underemphasized because they're kind of being written in a way that's supposed to just be an action story but um you know originally reading this run i was really disinterested in the love aspects because Mm -hmm. it's juxtaposed to like batman in this run is like a highly evolved detective he's like a super badass and so the fact that he's kind of playing this guy who's so cool he could be considered a dick um is not super interesting in um to me in this run i'm trying to be patient with it this time because i know what happens and you know i'm trying to view it from a different standpoint and in that sense i think it humanizes bruce more than i gave it credit for mm-hmm um and i'm also trying to read it in the context of like okay so batman has a cleaned up crime so he has more like there's this took care of all of it right and so he's got this extra time and he thinks that he can do that and that's potentially a big mistake like most times anytime a hero especially batman tries to be happy it never turns out good and i'm also trying to like keep in context that remember this is post the thogal ritual Mm -hmm. or thogal where he has this new sense of himself you know, he's had kind of a spiritual enema. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, he's got this new, you know, he relinquished his demons, exercised all the, the shit in his past. So he, Batman feels like he has this new sense of vibrancy and life to him. And I wonder now with those 52 issues that we read at the beginning of this run that I haven't read, if that does actually factor into this relationship, if that's part of the plotting, like Bruce is taking on this relationship because he has the emotional space from doing whatever one does in a cave for seven days in total darkness. (laughs) I think those are actually both fantastic points that I didn't think about. Um, The idea, and and I do think that that's a thing in in this run that has only come up a couple times. I I wish that we maybe earlier on, like, give me five pages of Batman flying around Gotham and really make me understand that supercrime has been taken out. Right. Um, like it's just mentioned in conversation and that's, that's a totally fine way of telling the story. Um, but 
that is such a big idea right. that that I, I wouldn't mind maybe some flashbacks or something that kind of gives me an iron kind of image of like, oh, right, he did that. They're all in, you know, like Arkham Asylum or something. And then the idea that, yeah, you're right, he, he has relinquished his demons. So it actually, it makes a lot of sense that um, maybe the first one of the earlier things that he would do is sort of check in with his ability to relate to other people again. So I think actually both of those are really, really good points. Right. I feel like there's this implicit thing in this run that we, I feel like an, almost an issue's worth of content um, could have been inserted. It's, it's mentioned in reference and in conversation and implicitly, but I think an explicit thing would be, you know, the equation of like Batman plus new ritual that renewed him gave him energy to clean up crime. And, you know, I think we're experiencing Batman in this like golden age where things are easier for him, Mm -hmm. but we've never been told that explicitly. I, you know, if you read between the lines between those 52 issues and the idea that, you know, in the first issue, Joker hasn't been around in a while, right. You know, and Batman's just killing it. (laughs) like he's just crushing the crime game. I feel like, and now we're watching this, this whole arc is kind of the illusion of that. Um, I, I feel like that wasn't ever explicitly said, and there's a lot to read between the lines there. Right. You know, like, and now reading this with the, with the context of those issues, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is supposed to be saying that Batman is trying to have a normal life because he's kind of won right. crime. Because um, he it even is- says, like, Damien shows up at this time to try to fuck with me because things are going good. Right, right. You know, Talia is doing that. So, And I, don't, um, I actually don't mind needing to read between the lines but it is it it's such a morrison thing and his output is such a small portion of the comic industry that i just kind of forget to do it but like when i'm reading you know like his green lantern run when the first half of that was coming out and i was reading those issues you know there was the sort of understanding that i would stop and like really focus on every page and that is something that happened in in this same Batman issue. A couple pages after uh, Bruce and Jezebel stop hanging out, um, we go to the we're back in Gotham, and there's a police talking to a pimp with a bunch of prostitutes around him. And that was something where I was like, okay, I know where this is going, but I couldn't like I read that page of dialogue, and I was like, oh, what is what is exactly happening here? And it, I had to read it like a second time, and it's this conversation that these cops are talking to this pimp, and apparently there is this uh, deal set up where this pimp causes women to go with the police officers to basically be either murdered or raped by this horrible thing, um, but it he does that thing that is you know very him at this point, which is like he he tells you doesn't show you mm-hmm. and and you do have to generate the story and and i like that uh but it is a thing that is so i think so often in comic books they do show instead of tell and you it, it's a lot easier right that makes it so i i like you know this this reminder of like okay slow down finish a page and know what a page is saying before jumping ahead and that's not a super intuitive thing for me for sure. I, you know, I was a little confused with that as well. And, you know, Bruce is potentially in Europe when he's, you know, he's in Gibraltar in the beginning of the issue. He's potentially still there with Jezebel. And then he's back at Gotham. And so there's been a few times in this run where I'm wondering if, if we're panning through two different time frames mm-hmm. or if we're jumping. I can't tell where we're placed in space and in time. Like, yeah. is he jumping, you know, like this Joker issue 
the one that you and Django just recorded on, was that recorded or sorry, was that issue, did that take place directly after the Talia stuff? Is this just something from the black case book? Is this just good, like, good point. You know, I, Oh, well, obviously it happened after he got shot. So right. is this like, you know, Batman and they even reference in that issue that things have been good for a while and Joker has been dormant cause he's been fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause he got shot in the face. Yeah, sure did. He got a palate so, surgery. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. So like this would feel like a pretty big deal, even if Gotham is doing pretty good, you know, mm-hmm. Joker's like spitting devil acid in people's faces and like <laughs> trying to kill his old sidekick, you know, so that doesn't necessarily feel like Bruce, you have time to date, you know, you got right. the worst villain becoming like hyper Satan. Um, so there, there are times where it jumps around. So I, I did like, I'm glad you clarified that. Cause I, I was struggling to have like the connected tissue of like, so Bruce, when he's doing super crime stuff, he doesn't have time to like look into street crimes, things like prostitutes mm-hmm. and right. domestic disputes. But now that he has more time, he's like, oh God, this is something really messed up is going on here. And there is. Yeah. So uh, before we get into exactly what's going on, are you ready for my fan theory? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this will be very dated if it's wrong a month from now. And it'll be recorded forever in the history of our podcast. So that's the kind of gold, right? But in the scene with the pimp and the cop and the prostitutes, Mm -hmm. little girl with the clown face, that looks like punchline. That character from the Tinian run that he's introducing, like down to the white face, the black bangs that are flat like that, and then the red dots. So I I got really excited at the idea of what if that punchline character is this character that was introduced in Morrison's run. I don't remember if she comes back or not in this run. Yeah. In, I, in some Batman runs, like he does sort of maintain a relationship with a young girl that he like saved and he checks in on her and, and stuff. Anyway. So I, I got, I got faces are so common in this run, like painted yeah, faces. Yeah. Um, that is an awesome fan theory. And, you know, I think Jimmy T often does like nostalgic love letters to old stuff mm-hmm. you know, he like his detective run was just like you know a 90s batman circle jerk yeah uh, so i wonder <laughs> you know i could see him feasibly doing something like that uh, but bruce gives her a card to come work at wayne tech so it, it it might not be the case it's just the same uh same makeup but yeah the whole the whole prostitute interaction i, I did like a lot i love batman like Spawn comic it actually you're right and in fact, there are moments in here in, in with this inking and coloring that I thought like the art even kind of uh, was reminiscent of Capullo in Spawn. I think oh, I mean, Batman's cape in that shot against the Luther El Pod ad, his cape is all like wispy and dark. Yeah. Um, I almost felt, yeah. And then like you rarely see Batman dealing with something as real life as pimps and prostitutes. Yeah. You know, so I was like, ooh, this is a little, uh, is it Sam and Twitch? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, is like totally this, what yeah, it is. Yeah, and yeah, I, that's like information a, that we only know because of Django, I bet. <laughs> yeah, like it's, uh, you know, it's a little doidia. And, oh my God, the scene that we'll get to when you see the first prostitute kind of oh. in his torture chamber, oh, that God. is such a like Spawn comic, like we're really dark and fucked up here, mature readers only, kids. You're, you're totally right. And I mean, like that, so I mean, yeah, let's get to it. After he checks in with the prostitutes and everything, he basically follows his patrol down to this um, horrible warehouse that it's like a, a bathhouse. But I love 
how like it, it, it did it had a feeling of like being nine and getting a comic you're not supposed to have or your parents will find out you'll sure. get in trouble so like you even know, batman says like whoa this is fucked up I'm yeah like, yeah well, this batman is <laughs> yeah if batman thinks this is hella fucked then we're we're in some dark territory here monsters Jeff. sick sweet smell of human flesh past its cell by date the crawling six senses that tell me i'm onto something rotten yeah this is um this is really like burly and that i do love it in this morrison batman run there are times where it gets real real burly like devil manipulation glue in your eyes like real right. real dirty so so yeah what does batman find there justin yeah just a quick second a issue yeah. ago he was literally fighting man bat ninjas <laughs> and now he's like you know he's going through this is it a use uh use subway or just like a a vacant apartment building that has been hollowed out for it's got a pool and changing rooms so like but yeah it's also got like apartment but it's got lockers i don't know yeah an abandoned gym or something who knows what sort of abandoned properties gotham has yeah people just got to get out sometimes yeah Um, (laughs) and, and especially when you got like uh this testosterone cult of like abused heroin prostitutes and whatever this guy is he's like batman plus bane but he kind of looks like kg beast he also looks spawn as fuck yep um i almost feel like this is a love letter to batman's 90s thing like this is grant morrison be like this is what 90 90s comics were like they were gross and i forget exactly and i'm excited to get to the the end of this arc but i forget exactly what the role of these is batman you know he fights this he goes through this locker room and he finds this horrible room filled with like dead bodies and emaciated (laughs) women and like heroin needles but he keeps talking about how much it reeks of testosterone the alpha male hormone and yeah i i and then he sort of mentions that this is sort of like it's meant to be a trigger like his the, the scariest things to him basically but I, so this ghost of batman run like I, f- I forget exactly what they're supposed to mean other than they're kind of cops that have become his worst nightmares like what if he broke and started using a gun and then right. this one is sort of like venom and testosterone right and- but batman did use venom for a while yeah in the 90s and um i so and this is just a you know the slight amount of caffeine i had has has done this to my brain but these are ghosts of batman's past and he mentions that each one of these are meant to kind of trigger a bad memory and he mentions like when my back got broken by bane yeah one issue i feel like this is actually written to be a dirty 90s comic and the bane bad guy here is to represent Mm. bane in that time I love and, that. And it's, you know, because it's a ghost of, since Bat, Grant Morrison is, I just called him Batman. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> he, he is rehashing and, you know, we're doing like a accelerated cycle of Batman's entire life in this run. Mm-hmm. That this is like seriously a distillation of the whole stinky 90s grimy times yeah. for Batman. So it feels almost intentional. But anyway. He fight. He finds this like super macho, evil Bane, Venom, Batman. That to me, you know, there's there's the evil cop guy that shows the corruption of Gotham and how guns and power will always corrupt and make you mm-hmm. know 
these kind of like sovereign douchebags that think they're doing the right thing. This though was like, this is nasty. This is just like toxic masculinity on, on venom on crack, yeah. you know, just like this disgust. He's stinky. Yeah. He like is abusive to women in particularly like this is a, dis- this made me really uncomfortable. I was like, did not, you know, there's some like satanic Luciferian shit in Batman. Yeah. And that's all kind of conceptual evil that I can mm-hmm. handle in stomach. This is like pretty close to Jack the, Jack the Ripper, real human fucked up shit. Yeah, it's, it is. It's really, really dark. Like, it, yeah, it, it I is, was surprised. I know. I was sort of like, they let this comic go out. You know, I wonder if this would happen nowadays. I don't know that it, this would get past editorial. Right. Yeah. I, and especially thinking about like, you know, was I 14 when this was coming out? And I was reading stuff, you know, I've always read stuff kind of a, a little advanced for myself because um, I like to torture myself. Toicha. But I was young, this, and I was a sensitive young, and I, this would have like probably bothered me had I digested it correctly, you know. Like, had yeah. I been reading act, I used to kind of just flip through the comics for the art and watch Batman beat people up at times. Uh, so, yeah, this is, this is really dark, though I kind of liked it. Um, I've, I think it's well written. I, I totally agree, and I, I like the way the narration works over the brood, like the brutality of it, like the really just dark brutality of it while it's going on the narration is a little bit removed it's it is this like yeah got me thinking about the other cop that i saw in a batman outfit and the one that shot the joker and then and then i really liked the the introduction of the idea of the black case book which i think i'm not sure but at this point is it's the first time morrison has mentioned it i'm not sure if it's a 70s idea that had been done but um, this idea of this hidden book of all of the weird cases that don't fit into the everyday understanding of crime fighting. Um, I, I, I really liked, just like you're saying, I do think it's well-written, like Batman being distracted and mm-hmm. putting these connections together. And I think that um, makes him more able to get just the shit pummeled out of him by this, this guy. Right, and he's like doing that thing that detectives aren't supposed to do and see connections aren't there so he's distracted because he's like oh this black case book all these like weird things that i can't you know uh like in true detective they're like you can't project a narrative onto it you know, yeah you can't have you have to know the difference between your theory of it and what is actually going on and batman's making that crucial mistake here uh-huh. and maybe because he's eased up a little bit you know he's gotten mm-hmm. happy um i really love what really initially got its teeth into me that made me want to consume this run at a different level was the idea of the black case book. Mm -hmm. Like Batman has a collective unconscious essentially of like all the shit he can't make sense of. And Batman's a sense making machine, essentially, you know, he's a detective algorithm. Um, So he has this thing. He's like, well, I can't make sense of that. Fuck it. Let's put it in the book. Yeah. He, the only way that he can categorize it is by putting it in an uncategorizable section of just like, well, here's the surrealist stuff. Yeah. 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 I, I know. It, I didn't realize it, but the like paperback copies of the Black Casebook are now like eighty dollars. Like really? Uh, the, yeah, it's just a paperback collection of a bunch of Silver Age issues that Grant Morrison kind of drew inspiration from. Django told me that yesterday, and I was like, no. Nah, and I went on eBay, and I was like, oh my gosh! Like there's un- like crazy. copies going for one hundred and fifty dollars or something. I've almost bought that like multiple times just because you know when I was 
writing comics, I would always like write down things of my, what, what I would like to do with the run. Mm-hmm. And I would, was very into the idea of reusing the black case book. Um, and I almost bought that collection, but then I was like, Oh, this is just lame old stories. I know that's exactly what I thought too. It's like, Oh, it's just seventies reprints. I don't really yeah. need this. Right. This run is very like Bruce centric and I understand mm-hmm. why. Um, so I relish in the, especially with like how this, this run plays out, it has to kind of be Bruce centric at first, but I really relish in getting to see the family here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as, as often as I can, like I think Grant writing those human interactions is rewarding in the same way that like Tom King, you know, like I, I love those moments of him writing all them together. Right. Well, I guess the last thing I'm going to say is I don't ever want someone really big and strong to grab me by my cape whirl me around hit me against the wall and then throw me out a window behind me like batman gets fubbed up yeah it's almost worth not wearing such a huge cape anymore jeff like i I just almost i I played through the scenarios in my head and i just thought it's just too brutal i don't know if i need to wear this cape Um, is that is that one like wispy spawn cape shot really worth it yeah exactly right the mystery yeah you can stand there and look awesome on it on an edge but the minute you go down down into the gutters you're gonna get you're gonna get cape twirled and fubbed um and i i read an interesting observation about it online and uh we we sort of have it very um pushed to the forefront of the narrative in the joker at midnight the clown at midnight one shot that like black and red and alternating colors is such an important motif throughout this whole run as a mm-hmm. metaphor for sort of life and death or action and response joke punchline um it comes back yeah, control to, and chaos. Yeah. Yeah. It comes back to play a, a big role later on and without, you know, spoiling too much about Jezebel jet. It is interesting that she is a person of color, someone from Africa. Uh, and she's also got red hair. Mm-hmm. So like that, even, you know, like black, red duality. I'm not sure if that's something that was intentionally put in there as well, but that was, uh, some observations I was reading online and I thought that that was, and all these inner covers are black and red as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, but yeah, so I, you know, it's it's sort of almost um, makes clear some of the stuff that happens with Jezebel Jet. Also, her name is Jezebel, so right. you know, like I don't know if historically or biblically, whatever it is, but like a Jezebel is a, I think, person who can't be trusted. But um, yeah, right. you know, and he's he's letting her in. There's some like serious, and I mean, it makes sense because Batman's so gothic, but there's like some serious biblical undertones that if I had a little bit more knowledge about like the actual Bible, Mm -hmm. I think it would be, you know, there's probably a different lens to read into it um, and probably some hints somewhere because, you know, there's, there's all this Satan stuff and, you know, he's kind of bat Jesus in a lot of ways. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm curious to see you know, Grant Morrison always puts like religious or, you know, like English stuff in there. So, uh, yeah, I wish I had a different kind of lens to read, read through it. Cause I'm sure there's some good meat in there too. Yeah. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe we'll ask, uh, I almost called him the Joker. My God, Django. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our, uh, our little biblical scholar. Uh, yeah. Our little <laughs> Satan fuck Django who loves the devil and six, six, six and the beast and all that yeah well yeah we'll we'll, we'll get a chance to talk to him about that specifically when he and you and i all talk about batman 66 the day after tomorrow yes um well dude this was awesome i'm loving this run and it's it's really cool to go back and read this run and like every time there's something that i misremember and think was just kind of filler there's actually a point to it Mm -hmm. and 
something that seems so nonsensical is like, okay, we need Batman to fight these three Batmans actually makes a lot of sense in context with everything. And even this like, well, Batman having a relationship also makes sense. Um, you know, I, I have a tendency to bloat this run and say that it's perfect anyway, mm-hmm. but there's, there is more connective tissue in this run than I even gave it credit for. Yeah. And I, I really like this particular art because it is, it's almost like a Chuck Palahniuk novel or something like it's <laughs> gritty and grimy and gross and there's drug addiction and prostitutes and like, you know, testosterone. And it, it's very like surface level um, evoking of like, base instinct like base humanity things so right i, I like um kind of playing in the trash with graham morrison this much and and i think that this this issue specifically is kind of where that um sort of emotional tone kind of rears its very ugly head yeah and that's really cool because there's so many parts of this that's like so cerebral and up there yeah that it's nice to sometimes just get down in the mud one last thing I wanted to yeah. say, and I wanted to get mainly because I wanted to get the feedback on is, you know, uh, Batman in this run is such a dynamo. He's such like a, a, a badass. He, you know, juxtaposed to Tom King's really sensitive Batman. Yeah. I've kind of said that this was a, a Batman that I don't know if I could like, cause he's just like, he's all genius without any heart. Yeah. But actually going through this, like when I I wasn't on this episode, but I, I a point I noticed when he was bringing uh, Damien back to Talia and dealing with that whole kind of international crisis that he got tricked into, <laughs> um, he he's actually trying to be a good father. Like he's talking to Damien in a way that like isn't criminalizing Damien for being a killer. You know, even though that that that's like Batman's number one number one rule. Number one. Um, um he he's actually like being a in a way that like someone who you know can sherlock holmes also be a nice guy to be around maybe not because he's such a hard right geniuses or intense personalities are hard to be around but um batman i like i think he's a little bit more of a superhero in this run than i gave him credit for and a little bit more of like good is a is a hard word to throw around in in books like this but he's a decent human being too which is important because you know people just want to see him as the james bond yeah he calls himself james bond but you know there's a to him yeah you and i have sort of both offered the the opinion on the other podcast we do perfectly acceptable podcast um that yeah i i i don't love when batman is considered the real person and Bruce is the costume and it, he's devoid of humanity. Like he's devoid of what makes someone like if it was all an act, he doesn't have the sort of emotional sensitivity. And, and I do like in this run, you know, the, the scenes with Damien or scenes with Tim or even scenes where he's talking to the prostitutes in this issue. Um, like his compassion is on the forefront. So I do agree. He's not, um, it, it is a thing that we do. He's not just, ultimate force of will in this like he is also a person and i think that when you take the personage out of batman he becomes lesser so i I do like seeing that in here you know there's a part of me who's very like critical of of wealth and capitalism and you know i have often in the store publicly said that i think batman would be a really toxic force in the Mm -hmm. real world and you know he's just kind of this idea of the one percent and kind of um exceptionalism and individualism that might be toxic in a real society Mm -hmm. but 
I think it was pretty cool to see Batman rely on a prostitute just like he would um, Joker or sorry, fuck. Or Robin or or, or Alfred, you know, he, yeah, yeah. he he's kind of like he isn't just this rich king who's playing in his playground of toys. He he's also like needs his people. Um and that is something that's overshadowed in this run, I think sometimes because he's such a badass in so many ways in this right. in this run. He does these great, you know, he's kind of elevated to a god in a right. lot of ways. Right. Um, but it's really refreshing to see that in this run, Grant Morrison is clearly making an effort to not just make him that. Um, and it's good to remember that, you know, superheroes are good people too. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Justin, thank you so much for joining yeah, me here. We'll see you very soon um, for Batman 666. I I'm have excited. a, yeah, I think uh, tomorrow everyone can look forward to a, a conversation with Roman about Ooh. 665 though. Um, buddy, you have a fantastic day. Thank you, you for everyone as always for joining us in Batman in quarantine and, you know, excited to keep getting grimy with you, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks everybody. Um, thanks for letting me be on here and, you know, just say whatever. Um, just a couple buddies having fun exploring the thoughts that happen when you read Grant Morrison's Batman is what it and all is boy, about. Boy, yeah. are they weird. Um, Chef Boy RD. All right, well, you tell Roman I say hi. I will. See you, buddy. Yes, yeah, see you.